The views and opinions expressed are for general informational purposes only. Consult with your physician or medical health care provider for medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Today, we talk about research articles and hot topics. Our topic today is, what's new? Hot topics number 78. Spouse getting weight loss surgery? Your marriage might be in trouble. A study shows that self-employed women are often healthier. Want to raise successful kids? Neuroscience says do this, but their schools probably won't. All this and more on It's All About Health and Fitness. Welcome to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. This program is brought to you by Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum. Now, here's your host, Vicki Doe and D. Banks-Bright. I'm Dr. Vicki Haywood-Doe, and with me is the one and only Dr. Virginia D. Banks-Bright. How are you today? <laughs> I'm doing good, Vicki. A little frazzled from all the work that we're doing, but other than that, good. It's a very nice day. Yes, it Not is. Really. Yes, and it's yeah. and it's not hot and bothered it's just no, right it's not it really is just and considering you know a third of the country is experiencing this huge heat wave i'm happy with today it's, it's good this is all right it's all right because yeah for the past few right. days for the past few days yes we have been experiencing a little heat as well we but have. Yeah, yeah so today is a great day the sun is out it is. and it is. i just feel good me too. <laughs> me too. This is episode 237, and today we talk about research articles and hot topics that we think are worth looking at and talking about. And so our topic today is what's new? Hot topics number 78. Did you know that weight loss can cause relationship problems, sometimes even divorce? Research has shown that when a spouse goes on a weight loss journey and decides to get the weight loss surgery, a lot of times that causes marriage problems or relationship problems. And we are going to look at one of the articles that discusses that occurrence. Who knew self-employed women are healthier? Did you want to raise your kids smarter and successful and all of that? Well, the neuroscience says that you should do this one thing. And so we're going to discuss all of these topics and articles on this episode. Also, the one and only, our one and only, Dr. D. Banks Bright will give us the latest on this <laughs> monkeypox situation. Yeah. That's all yeah. we're hearing about. And it ain't seeming yeah. good. It ain't seeming nah, good. Okay. And so. We have a lot of good information today, so sit back and enjoy our show today. And there is so much, there's so much to learn today. So what do you say, Dee? I'm excited. we got a lot of ground to cover, a lot of really good stuff. Yes, we do. All right, folks, don't forget, don't forget to check out our resources page, vickidofitness.com forward slash resources, and there you will find products and services that will be helpful. As you embrace your life of health and fitness, we have a variety of items on our resource list for you to check out and try. We have Reebok. You know, I always have my Reebok shoes or my exercise wear somewhere. We got Warby Parker. That's the eyeglasses. You know, they're online they started out online. Now you see little stores, places where they are now. The Wobby Parker, yes, they have contacts now. Contacts now. So check that out. Polar. Polar, that's the fitness wearables that you can wear. I have mine on. You know that I have mine on when you see the lime green looking band on my arm. I Remedy Healthcare. Yes, we still have to order masks. I'm always ordering masks for Nate. Go check out that website. Cardia. 
I always talk about the Cardia. That's new on our list by Alive Core. And Cardia is a nice small device that you can sync up with your phone and you can put your thumbs on it and check out your EKG and send it to your doctor. That's very important for those of you that might be suffering from heart disease or those that just want to check your rhythms, your heart rhythms. There's a device for you. The right stuff, medical supplies for caregiver, that website, Arta Tea, Tea, yes, love tea. And they're always having sales on that website as well. My Lab Box, yes, if you want to check out, I, they, they don't have the, the monkey pox on there yet. <laughs> no, they don't yet. But anyway, that's mylabbox.com. Check it out. They have all kinds of home where you can you can do your your home labs and send it in they will give you a physician that can help you read the results and so forth eco lab box it's about school time guys some folks have already started some kids have already started school and so you'll be able to to have these these green or eco-friendly environment friendly lunch boxes and so forth. So check that out. And we have much, much more on that list. But let's talk about Polar Monitors, Polar Electra. Polar has a 40-year legacy of innovation in fitness wearables. Polar has been leading the way in providing a broad range of products to help people of all fitness levels reach their goals. And so they have now the new Polar Pesa Pro. This is an advanced GPS running watch that is ultra light. It is the new generation GPS running watch and it is equipped with advanced training tools for serious runners to improve running economy and performance. But they also have other fitness, you know, trackers and monitors and watches that anyone at any fitness level can wear. Go check out Polar on our resources page, vikidofitness.com forward slash resources or go directly to the website using our link which is vikidofitness.com forward slash polar and remember when you use any of the affiliate links to buy any of the products and services on our resources page you are supporting us here at vikido fitness and as always what do we say d thank you thank you thank you for your support thank you thank you thank you for your support. Yes, Dee. And I always have to worry about pollen, you know, grass pollen, yeah, but the ragweed. Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, Sinus, you know, itchy eyes, you know, the whole algae thing, you know, a lot of times it gets so bad that I can't wear my contacts, which I always wear. Um, I have to put a, pull out my glasses, my spectacles, which I probably should have on most of the time anyway, because I can't see. <laughs> but anyway, oh, yeah. so but but it's low today. I always when I read the weather, I always scroll down and see what kind of allergens are in the environment well, for do me. You get the, um, do you get the allergy report? Like yes. On like weather, yes. Weather.com or something like that. They'll give you the allergy report for your area. Yes, and I always read that. Mm-hmm. And so today. Today, mm-hmm. the ragweed is low, thank God. Grass oh, pollen good. is moderate. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm glad about that. Tree pollen is none at this time, which is good. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, that's good. But I also, I've also realized, especially when, when COVID hit and with me wearing my mask and stuff, I realized over time that I don't have a lot of those allergy um, symptoms, the, the environmental. and you've it, been wearing your yes. mask. Yes. So now I start yeah. wearing round about this time, you know, I said, okay, let me wear my mask. Cause now usually I kind of take my mask off since it's sunny and it's outside. Yeah. But during this season, I'm like, okay, let me put my mask back on. Yeah. And it makes wear a big mask. difference. Exactly. Well, you know, that's what they found out with COVID with the influenza. Mm. That they thought when the, before the vaccine, when COVID hit, that they were going to have what would they call the twindemic, mm-hmm. the influenza and COVID. But they didn't have it because people were wearing their masks. Mm, I know. Yeah. So, so that's yeah. one good thing that we learned out of all this, right? Yeah, exactly. Your mask. That's it. So, yeah. And so... That's what I'm doing. I'm enjoying August as much as I can because, like we say, you know, September is going to roll around. 
and then bam october hit us and then we back to whatever we might get (laughs) are you doing teaching again this year because i saw that did i see that okay going back to math yes i I saw that and so yeah no i'm not going to be teaching this semester and i feel like a new woman But but that's okay. I'm gonna be busy doing Vicky Do Fitness thing. But yeah, I saw that. I saw that Kent will be yeah. They're back to wearing their masks. Yep, yep, yep. Which is kind of which is kind of interesting. I think they may be the only university that's doing that. But we'll see. But yeah, they took a leap of faith and put masks back on. Yeah, because they ain't trying to get monkey pox either. Oh no. No, they're not. No, no. They ain't fooling nobody. They ain't fooling nobody. (laughs) They they were saying, okay, what are we going to do about this monkeypox? It was like, hey, it's still COVID. The issue is this, that what is kind of confusing, and I saw last week that CDC took it off of their um, webpage or whatever, their page about monkeypox, that they initially had you to wear a mask, when you were around, you know, they said you were, if you suspected monkeypox or whatever, uh-huh. and people were asking, well, if you say that it's not airborne, mm. which I still don't believe, mm-hmm. if you say that it's not airborne, why are you, you know, why are you having people to wear masks? Mm. So they took that, they took that off their CDC site last week. So I thought that was kind of interesting. That is interesting. Mm-hmm. But, but we shall see, right? We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Wear your mask. That's all I can say. That's yeah. it. So how was your week then, Dee? How was yours? You talk uh, about it busy. It was good. Yeah. Um, so last week, last Friday, I went to something that was kind of like a bucket list to me. It's called the Gold Jacket Dinner. Last week was a big Hall of Fame weekend yes. in Canton. And so I had an opportunity to see from afar a lot of the football players who are mm-hmm. in the Hall of Fame. Some of them, many of them I had heard of or knew or whatever. And it was just interesting. It really well attended. Tons of people were there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you just, and they had a nice dinner. Mm-hmm. And then um, after that, there was a nice program introducing the, a lot of the people from the from former who were former Hall of Famers and then introducing the new class. So it was really good. And then Sunday Blossom to hear a really nice concert and stuff. I love Blossom. It's just so nice and relaxing and stuff like that. So, yeah. But that's coming mm-hmm. to a close, too. I mean, September, it's over. Oh. Oh, okay. What is going on this week, Dee? <laughs> everything. Everything. And, you know, mm-hmm. we're getting ready to talk about Serena. And I'm going to let you talk about that because your daughter wrote a wonderful mm-hmm. um, tribute to her this morning on Facebook about her, mm-hmm. you know, when she and, and um, Andrea were playing tennis. And I thought maybe you might want to talk about Serena and share some of the thoughts that Yeah, well, you know, when I saw that Serena Williams was, yeah, she was putting down her her tennis Mm -hmm. bracket and and, yeah, she's retiring. Well, you know, I said, Mm -hmm. good, at least she's going out still on top, you know, going out strong. Yeah. And so Mm -hmm. I thought Mm -hmm. it was interesting how my girls, yeah, I started them early. They were little teeny tots Mm -hmm. uh, learning Mm -hmm. tennis because I always liked tennis and so forth. And they picked it up very well and Mm -hmm. because they were sisters they really learned how to play with each other Mm -hmm. doubles Mm -hmm. and as they went up they they um played they played here for one of the um teams here at Mm -hmm. squaw creek avalon they were on the team they played competitively yes they did they played on the team and then Mm -hmm. when they went to Mm -hmm. gilmore they were on the varsity team um for Yeah, playing and they play singles, but most of the time they play doubles and they were just Uh great. And it's so funny how they they would play and just practicing around here and and roundabout people mm-hmm. will um go and see them just practicing with each other and they go oh my god mm-hmm. that's venus and serena <laughs> exactly that's what she said yeah that's what she said right that's exactly. venus and serena and exactly. they exactly they just they just love to play they weren't trying to be you know because i kept asking them mm-hmm. mm, did you want do you want to try this more competitive this and that uh-huh. and, but they just love to play and so we got a chance mm-hmm. to we went down to the open that's in Cincinnati we went down Uh there with some of her high school coach and um, some friends and we went down there and we got a chance to see Serena up 
um, close and personal. And I got oh, okay. pictures of her coming over because she saw oh. she saw the the two girls, right? Uh-huh. And so she hightailed over and oh. um, signed their ball, you know. And do the girls still have it? Do yes, have it? yeah, they still have it. Oh. And also the dad, Williams, was there. Yes, mm. Richard. What's his name? Richard Williams. <laughs> Richard Williams. Yes, he was there. So he King Richard. King Richard. So he came over too and said hi to them. So it was it was very interesting. Yes, it was fun. And so that I thought she had said that right. That inspired that inspired her. But yeah, even now she was saying it's it's nice when you because they have nice tennis little tennis leads all over with adults you know playing tennis Mm -hmm. and so she was saying yeah i need to get back to playing my tennis in a tennis Mm -hmm. league because it's it's Mm -hmm. so much fun it's so much fun you know Mm -hmm. but yeah so serena yeah serena uh, and her sister inspired a lot of these young folks especially the the the, the young black girls as well Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. so it's just like what um what tiger wood did for golf Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. There was an article. We, we saw the one in Vogue. Remember, you saw that one. Uh-huh. That was beautiful. But yeah. she, she wrote that on her own. But um, mm. she, that was her, her perspective on it. And they um, had a beautiful picture of her. The New York Times, they wrote an article, too. And it says Serena Williams leaves tennis just as she played on yeah, her I own terms. Okay, but it says, it says on this article that Williams bought her own distinctive flair to tennis, challenging norms that govern fashion, power, decorum, um, race, and gender by being herself. Williams' reach exceeded the game, far exceeded Mm -hmm. the game. So she's a symbol. Mm -hmm. She's a persona, an athlete who has gone far beyond the footsteps of her trailblazing sister and came to rule a cluster of mostly white sport. She refused to stop there, okay? So she announces her plans to retire from tennis. Serena Williams said on Tuesday that she will focus her life far beyond sports. Instead, she will be prioritizing being a mother, a fashion maker, a venture capitalist, right? And much more. And so mm-hmm. she has always done it her way. But let's look at some of her stuff, though. It's easy to forget that her championship journey, which came to include, she had 23 Grand Slam singles titles, mm-hmm. just shy mm-hmm. of the record of 24 that was set by Margaret Court. And it began mm-hmm. with a win. This is what we were talking about at the U.S. Open in 1999. So at 17 years old, Serena became the first black player since Arthur Ashe in 1975 to win a Grand Slam singles title and the first black woman to emerge victorious in a slam since uh, Althea Gibson in 1958. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, she is the GOAT. She's been the GOAT for at least two decades. Isn't that something? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. so. I guess I was trying to figure out what was Margaret Court. For some reason, I thought it was Steffi Graf, but Margaret Court. Okay. Mm-hmm. 24. Yeah, she hasn't. She mm-hmm. was trying to get that record, too. Yeah. I know. I know. So, I don't know, but kudos kudos to her though at least yeah, she's she's exactly. leaving on a good note what do you think yep yeah oh i agree i mean coming out on top with like i said it's when you start losing in the first round of these grand slams you just kind of maybe time for you to go sit down somewhere yeah yeah <laughs> especially with a lot of these young kids i mean serena's what she's you know she well, getting up I mean, there. Uh, Venus is forty. Yeah, yeah. She so, getting up there. Yeah. But she, you know, it was a good ride for her. And then maybe now she'll be a commentator and stuff like that. She can spend more time doing it because she's got. I mean, she and Venus have a lot of other things going on, like fashion. And yes, design, they do. Yes, they do. And they have their fingers in a lot of different pies. They yes. kind of orchestrated that before they even thought about because they knew they knew that the time would come where they wouldn't be doing that and they they would still be doing tennis and they were still young. So. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So she. So, she'll yeah. she'll be great. She'll be fine. She got that. She, she got she that will. cute little little daughter of hers. So yeah. I know. I gotta see that. I missed that on the picture. I have to go back and look. Yeah, at that. she's okay. on the the Vogue article, and she yeah. is, is is written in a first person account. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So she talks yeah. about all you know, all her struggles mm-hmm. and and all mm-hmm. of that. So it's mm-hmm. gonna be great. Now she's gonna play. I think is she playing at the U.S. Open? 
she is. That's my understanding. Unless okay. she has some kind of injury or something. That's my understanding. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, we shall yeah. we shall see. That's going to be, I'm going to definitely be watching that. You know, you wonder if she ties it, will she go one step beyond and say, well, maybe I'll wait until the Australian Open next year and try to get, try to beat that record. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. So we no, shall we'll see. We'll see. We shall yeah, see. We'll see. Yeah. Well, guess what? The great icon Olivia Newton-John has passed. She you know, passed on. I, I kind of followed this a little bit. Okay, um, okay. So Olivia Newton-John died died at 73. So she was the Australian singer whose breathy voice and wholesome beauty made her one of the biggest pop stars in the 70s and charmed generations of viewers in the blockbuster movie Grease. Mm-hmm. She passed this past Monday, surrounded by her family. Mm-hmm. And... She was um, at her ranch in Southern California. The family said, we ask that everyone please respect the family's privacy during this difficult time, said her husband, John Easterling, who wrote wrote in a statement. Olivia has been a symbol of triumph and hope for over 30 years, sharing her journey with breast cancer. And the singer revealed in September of 2018 that she was treating cancer at the base of her spine. It was the third cancer diagnosis following bouts with breast cancer in the early 90s and 2017. Thanks to a string of country and soft rock hits, Newton-John was already a pop singer by the late 1970s, but her co-starring role opposite John Travolta in 1978's Grease, arguably the most popular movie musical of all time, lifted her to a new level of stardom. So people don't understand. Her her diagnosis of breast cancer was in 1992, and she went almost... 20-plus years, Uh 2017, I think, is when it recurred. And then she had another recurrence in 2018. So by then, it was stage four. But, you know, this was 2018, and so she lived until 2022. And what she did was she was a spokesperson for breast cancer, always going out, raising money. And I think in her, her country of Australia... Okay. I think there's either a hospital or a ward or something they named the Olivia Olivia Newton John Ward for breast cancer or whatever. So she really went out there over the last thirty two years well, yeah, thirty years. Okay. Um, advocating being an advocate. So, you know, rest in peace. It's just you hate to hear those kinds of things, you know, yes, uh, yes. about it. We've made great strides with breast cancer, but yeah. she, like I said, she was a she was a great advocate. Yes, yeah, she it. was. So yeah, yeah, that's something to hear. But but it's it's interesting how you know yeah, folks can they can they can fight it for a while now. They can fight it for a while. Right. Oh yeah. Well mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I said, 1992 and then 2017 and then even 2018 when she was stage four. And she didn't pass until 2022. So that's a long, long run. That's a long run, yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, rest in peace. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what's the latest, D? What's the latest? Oh, oh my goodness. Well, let's just jump into a few things. Number one, Biden administration yesterday said that they were going to introduce a new program to stretch out the vaccine against monkeypox. And the way they were going to do that was, I guess every vial has so many doses, and they were giving it subcutaneously. And so they decided to give it now intradermally, which would be like one-fifth of that dose, okay. because they found out that the efficacy of an intradermal, which is just giving it right underneath the skin, was the same with one-fifth intradermally as the subcutaneous. My only problem with that is that intradermal injections is how you do skin, TB skin tests. Okay. And you have to be very careful and trained adequately to do an intradermal test, or it can quickly turn into sub-Q. Now, you're using little tiny needles, and that shouldn't be a problem, but... okay. You know, somebody going in and not knowing what they're doing. So you give somebody Mm. one-fifth of the dose that they're supposed to have, and you do it subcutaneous. Well, now they're not protected. So I I just see some problems and some issues. Hopefully, they, as we say, they have thought that through. I don't know. Hopefully, they have thought that through. Mm. So that's that's number one. Number two, um, they're in phase three clinical trials of a Lyme disease vaccine. So that's on the horizon. Um, okay. And, you know, they're going in clinical trials. They're going to start out with 6,000 people from children, young children to adults. 
Okay. Um, they're anticipating a rollout maybe in summer of 2024 or sometime in 2024. So we've got that. And then with respect of COVID, I just read yesterday that FDA is looking at a combination of vaccines of COVID vaccine and influenza, but the COVID vaccine incorporating this B5 variant that's running rampant that's infecting everybody. So that's kind of where we are with everything. So we, we still... So that's the latest. So that's the latest. So we still are having to think about uh, where we are, putting our mask on and all that kind of stuff yeah. still. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely still. And even spraying... Traveling or even just went out and spraying Lysol. And spraying the Lysol. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And spraying the lights exactly. Yeah, I told you I got me an um, so extra dose I of... I know you said you did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. That's wonderful. That's a... Well, you know what? We're laughing at you because you're about the only one that hasn't had it. <laughs> we need to stop laughing at you. Because <laughs> you're the only one out of all of us that hasn't really had it yet. So, yeah. Yeah, spray that sucker. Spray yeah, it down. Exactly. Spray it down. <laughs> exactly. 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 Well, thank you. Thank you, D. Thank you, D. You are so welcome. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Vicki Haywood Doe. I just wanted to break in for a quick second and introduce to you the sponsor and creator of this show. It's the company I own, Haywood Doe Consulting Co., doing business as Vicki Doe Fitness. We are a health and wellness consulting company that specializes in designing and implementing medically integrated applied exercise physiology-based fitness wellness programs, initiatives, events, health promotion, and health education for special populations such as older folks, children, adolescents, overweight and obese individuals, cardiac rehab, women's health, and those who have chronic diseases. We have a team and network of healthcare professionals based out of Northeast Ohio, and we've worked with many companies, schools, churches, and organizations. If your goal is to transform your life by taking a holistic approach to living a life of health and total well-being, get in touch with us at info at To find out more about our own site and online programs and services, go to vikidofitness.com. And now back to the show. Today we talk about research articles and hot topics that we think are worth looking at and talking about. And our topic today is what's new, hot topics number 78. The first article, self-employed women are often healthier. And that was a study uh, written Uh, Health Day News, and it says women who are their own bosses might have healthier hearts to show for it, a new study suggests. The study of more than 4,600 working U.S. women found that those who were self-employed typically got more exercise and were less likely to be obese or have high blood pressure or diabetes, which are major risk factors for heart disease. The findings do not prove that self-employment leads to better health, experts said, but they do raise the questions of whether certain aspects of self-employment can do a woman's heart good. And this was said by senior researcher Dr. Kimberly Noran. That kind of work structure, she said, may allow women more freedom in shaping their work days to fit in some exercise. And while not all women can or want to be their own boss, Noreen said, it may be possible for employers to apply some positive elements of self-employment to the traditional workplace. Flexibility in the daily schedule would be one example, according to Noreen, a physician with the University of California Los Angeles Women's Health Center. She said, heart disease is the number one killer of women which is something a lot of people are not aware of. And along with the traditional risk factors for heart disease, there are also non-traditional contributors, Noreen said, such as depression and chronic stress. 
given how much time people spend on the job, she said, it's important to understand how the work environment can support people in leading a healthy lifestyle. I'm interested in thinking about how we can change structures, Narain said, rather than telling women to change. The findings published recently in the journal BMC Women's Health are based on a 2016 health survey of U.S. adults. It included 4,624 women who were employed. 16% were self-employed, while the rest said they worked for someone else. In general, self-employed women were more physically active. 80% said they exercised at least twice a week, compared with 72% of other women. They were also less likely to be obese, that's 32% versus 41%, or have high blood pressure, that's 19% versus 28%, or diabetes, that's 11.5% versus 14%. It's difficult, though, to answer the chicken and egg question, said Yana Rogers, a faculty director of the Center for Women and Work at Rutgers University. Women who are able to freelance or be entrepreneurs are likely to be more affluent or have advantages that other women may not, said Rogers, who was not involved in the study. Noreen's team accounted for the differences that they could, including education level and marital status. They also factored in access to health care. Health insurance is expensive, and some self-employed women might forego it, Noreen said. That means they may not have conditions like high blood pressure or diabetes diagnosed. It also means that self-employment might not be a realistic option for women who already have chronic health issues or less financial stability. It turned out that self-employed women in the study were, in fact, more likely to be uninsured. 9% were versus 5% of other women. But that did, oh, wow. I know, that did not account for the differences in their health. Self-employed women were still 30% to 40%, 43% less likely to have high blood pressure or diabetes and were 68% more likely to be exercising at least twice a week. The researchers were not able to account for, they were not able to account for household income. However, Roger said she thinks that could be a key factor. When the family income is high and stable, women may be in a better place to launch their own business. Even if that is the case, though, Rogers agreed that self-employment may well have health-supporting perks. Women who are their own bosses may work a lot, but they also probably have more autonomy over when and where they work. This is what Rogers said. I think employers should pay attention to findings like these. They could consider opportunities for more autonomy and flexibility in scheduling. Even fairly simple shifts, she added, like walk and talk meetings instead of the traditional sit-down version could help employees fit more exercise into the day. Some employers, Noreen noted, might think that rigid schedules serve the bottom line. But if employees are more stressed, less satisfied, or less healthy, she said, that may not be the case. Okay, so guess oh. what? We got to be out there walking. I uh, know. We got to be out there walking. We also have to think about having more time to walk and do healthier things. Exactly. Because we are self-employed or at least try those that still work for your, you know, in different situations, no matter where it is. At least maybe think of trying to have talk with your employees, employers and maybe have you know, things a little bit different, like walk and talk meetings, right. you know, mm-hmm. instead of sitting down or you on your own. If you, you, uh, exactly. 
or working at home or if you or whatever you're doing, you still can get up and, and walk in place and do things exactly. so that you can be healthier. But I thought that was interesting that. So, I thought it was interesting. The only thing I would be interested in, what was the demographic? Because yes. when they're talking about, you know, more affluent women and so forth, they didn't talk about demographics. Yes. And I wonder if there's a difference between white women and black women yes. in terms of that. Because, you know, we certainly have a problem with obesity and all of that in the black community. So does that change just because you have your own, you know, just because you're an entrepreneur? I'm thinking when I'm looking at, like, Essence Magazine. Yes. And I'm looking at some of the women that may have some of their own businesses or be self-employed or entrepreneurs or whatever. I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, not exactly what this article is. <laughs> right, you know right, I mean? right. And so a lot I would of like to see yeah, the variable. That's a variable that they don't have in the state. They talk about income, mm-hmm. but they don't talk about demographics. So yes. I just want to know: Would the demographics be different if you looked at it on racial lines or ethnicity yeah. lines? Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Like yes, yeah, definitely. You understand what I'm saying? Oh yeah, yeah. definitely, definitely. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, yeah, it's it's a lot of different. Not only what will affect you know your health too. You know, if you're an African American woman, I know being you know having your own business, you got a whole bunch of different kind of stress just because you're an African American. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. And a Especially woman, you know, different. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. that's definitely something. But hey, at least, you know, that's something folks can think about Yeah, sure. having more time to think about themselves and do self-care. Mm-hmm. But even so, exactly. you can you can kind of the way the the work thing is doing now and a lot of people are working from home remotely. Um, I wonder how that would change stuff, too. You know? Yeah, I'm wondering about that as well. Because that study people, was you know, done in 2016. You know, that's right. that's a lot and different. Another interesting thing, you I don't know if you saw Peloton uh-huh. bike sales have gone down because people aren't buying them because, you know, people are not at home as much as they used to, to. be. Okay. So okay. everybody was buying those Peloton bikes and stuff like that. So it just kinda of, it's like, you know, I think a lot of people are doing more hybrid. Yes. Uh, yes. You know, Zoom and in person because they're trying to get a lot of some of these people to come back to have, you know, on-site work stuff. Right. Yeah, you're right. This article was done pre-COVID, right? Pre-COVID. So it'll be be very interesting. Yeah, right? It'll be very interesting to see the numbers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, the next one, Dee, what about it? It's called what? Well, you know, this was kind of alluded to by the young man, our, our guest, a couple of weeks ago who yes. went through the gastric. He didn't have the gastric bypass, but he had the sleeve. Yes. And talking about marital situations with that. So this is an article that, mm-hmm. a recent article from Health Day. Mm-hmm. People who have weight loss surgery often see improvements in type 2 diabetes and other diseases, but these surgeries and the lifestyle changes they require can also have spillover effects on other aspects of their life, including relationships. Compared to the general U.S. population, folks who have had uh, weight loss surgery are more likely, are more than twice as likely to get married or divorced within five years, a new study shows. This is a pretty big effect and something that can be important to people, said the study author, Wendy King, an associate professor. I, you know, I know her. Okay. <laughs> an okay. associate professor of epidemiology at University of, I don't know her personally, but I know who she is. Okay. University of Pittsburgh School of Public Health. They've got a really good school of public health there at University of okay. Pittsburgh. Okay, yes. Weight loss surgery patients should be made aware that marital status changes are more likely after surgery. For the study, King's team looked at changes in marital status among 1,400 adults who had gastric bypass and with a gastric sleeve, mm-hmm. weight loss surgery between 2006 and 2009. While the majority maintained their relationship status for five years after their surgery, 18% of single people got married compared mm. to 7% in the general U.S. population. What's more, 8% of married folks got divorced, doubled the rate for their counterparts in the general population. Another 5% of married people got separated. The findings published online July the 20th in the Annals of Surgery, which is a pretty reputable yes, journal, big time. Mm-hmm. are consistent with previous studies out of Scandinavia. King's team found that younger people and those who were living with a partner before surgery were more likely to marry during the study period. While the amount of weight loss wasn't linked with marriage odds, improved physical health did nudge people toward the altar. 
study shows. The study also found that people who lost more weight were more likely to get separated or divorced, as were those who reported an increase in sexual desire after surgery. People undergo, who undergo weight loss surgery drastically change how they eat, increase their physical activity, have a new lease on life, and want to try to do new things, King said. A partner can feel left behind or that they are no longer a good match with their spouse. It's tough when one person is trying to lead a healthier lifestyle and the other one isn't really fully on board, she said. If you're eating healthier and your spouse brings potato chips and cheese at home, it could cause friction, she said. Single people may be more apt to marry after weight loss surgery because they may have more energy, confidence, better body image, and maybe more open to dating. The researchers couldn't tell the people who married or divorced went into surgery hoping for a change. Calling the study interesting and unique, Dr. Megan Jenkins said potential relationship changes should be discussed as part of the consultation before weight loss surgery. Dr. Jenkins is a bariatric surgeon, is a clinical assistant professor of surgery at NYU Langone Health in New York City. We know a lot about health benefits that occur after weight loss surgery, but these procedures impact so many other parts of patients' lives, including relationships, said Dr. Jenkins, who reviewed the study findings. Now doctors have some real information to share with patients on this issue, she said. This is a great study that will hopefully spur these discussions about lifestyle changes that will be affected long-term. If you're married, you need to consider how you and your partner will navigate any of these changes in life and lifestyle after bariatric surgery. Right. I thought that was good. That's a recent article that just came out. Like I said, annals of surgery is not just a, um, it's a, it's a reputable it's a, yeah. In, in surgery. Yeah. Like New England Journal. It'd be like compared to New England Journal for other yes. of internal medicine. Big so, time. Yeah. yeah. It's oh, good. It's up there. It's like nature and all that. Yeah, those those exactly, yeah. exactly. It's up there. Yeah, so I thought that was interesting because he mm-hmm. he kind of alluded to that when he was talking about that. Yes. It was kind of interesting. Both he and his wife went on that journey together. Yes, yes. So yeah, Th- that's something for you guys to to go back and listen to. It's talking about my weight loss journey with Michael right. Wright. Yes. And so right. I right. thought that was very interesting how it can change stuff. Mm-hmm. Things can change. Yeah, well, something? people have, I mean, yeah, you may wake up and look at somebody and it's like, uh. <laughs> I know, right? You know? <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, there are all kinds of, you know, it, well, your diabetes is going to be better, your hypertension is going to be better, but people don't take into account the psychological aspects. But what, what, what is surprising to me is that mm-hmm. bariatric surgery has been going on now for over 20 years mm-hmm. i'm surprised that this is a aha moment right. for people yes. you know what i mean yes yes and bariatric surgery has been going on now i mean you know in the old days they had the bad kind that made people yes people had a lot of complications for but now it's a pretty perfected surgery and the sleeve that i'm surprised in 2022 that this is really an aha moment for those people doing that kind of surgery and it's not really included in a you know you have to have significant counseling before you go through that. Yes. It has not been incorporated into a serious counseling program for people that, you know, go into that. I know. 8% is a lot. Eight, they talk about 8% divorce. That's, That's a, a lot. lot. On top of on top of just regular why we get divorced. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now you, you got that. Down. I mean, right. You know. Right. So, yeah, you right. So, I mean, these are all the kinds of things that people need to look at, just not the physical aspects or, 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 you know, physiological things that happen, but the mental thing as well. I mean, some people may be going into a whole new life that they've never lived their whole life. You know what I mean? I know, but it's, it's great that we are looking to, to that. So, I think the reason reason why we're bringing that out because our focus has now shifted that where we're including mental health in the issues and and how that's important for your health and well-being you know exactly so that was good well our next article we're going to talk about because that article was named let me give the title it was named spouse getting weight loss surgery your marriage might be in trouble and that was written by health day news and so we're going to move on to our next article our next article is walking off the weight it was written by health day news as well and it says they have two people that they gave pseudonames to but we're going to talk about their journey the title is called walking off the weight shirley miller walks more than two miles on a treadmill nearly every day not bad for someone attached to an oxygen tank you know 
I thought that was good. Miller, in her 60s, has chronic bronchitis and emphysema and asthma. People will understand if she decided to take it easy. But the retired kindergarten teacher from Kissimmee, Florida, plans to put many more miles on her sneakers before she's through. Simply put, walking has restored her life. She no longer needs to use her oxygen tank when she does housework or shops for groceries. Her new hobby has also made her the perfect role model for anyone struggling with weight. Since taking up walking two years ago, she and her husband, George, a retired Disney executive, have each lost about 20 pounds. In many ways, walking is the perfect weight control routine, as Shirley Miller clearly demonstrates. Just about anyone can do it. You don't need any special skills or equipment. It's relaxing. If you choose to walk outside, it gives you the chance to feel some sunshine and compared the barking styles of the neighborhood dogs. Without a doubt, <laughs> nothing in a health club is as invigorating as a long walk on a beautiful day. Most important, walking works, says physiologist James Hill. He's a PhD, founding executive director of the Anschutz Health and Wellness Center at the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. Hill has been following a large group of people who has successfully lost weight and kept it off. 75 to 80% of them are walkers. Walking isn't a miracle cure for obesity. A brisk 40 to 45 minute walk can burn about 300 calories, depending on how much you weigh. At that rate, a typical 150 pound person who walks every day could potentially lose a little more than a pound every two weeks. It won't take a person from 350 pounds to 120 pounds, Hill says. People who are severely obese will need something more drastic to get to a healthy weight. But if you're looking to lose 10 to 20 pounds, or if you're just hoping to hold steady, you should seriously consider putting one foot in front of the other. And according to new research, you don't have to be a marathon walker to drop a few pounds. In a government study reported in the journal of the American Medical Association, women were asked to reduce their calorie intake and then were given exercise programs that primarily consisted of walking. Some women were assigned strenuous workouts and some less strenuous. At the end of a year, women in the moderate workout group had about the same weight loss as women in the intense workout group. Walking is especially valuable for people trying to avoid regaining lost weight. A study of 74 female dieters published in the Archives of Internal Medicine proves the point. The women had lost an average of 30 pounds on very low, on very low calorie diets. They all gained some weight within two years of quitting the diet. But women who walked two to three hours every week gain about eight pounds less than their inactive peers. You may even lose more by varying your walking speeds, according to one study. Even if the needle on the scale never drops, walking is a powerful health tonic. As Shirley Miller can attest, walking can boost stamina, strengthen the lungs, and provide energy to spare. Walking also eases depression, lowers blood pressure, and helps prevent diabetes and heart disease. Walking can even help keep you alive. A study of more than 72,000 women published in the New England Journal of Medicine found that three or more hours of brisk walking each week cut the risk of fatal heart attacks and other heart trouble by 35%. Interestingly, women who engage in more vigorous exercise, such as jogging or bicycling, weren't any better off than the walkers. If Shirley is exhibit A, her husband is exhibit B. George Miller had sky-high cholesterol and borderline diabetes before he started hitting the treadmill. Today, both his cholesterol and his blood sugar sugar are well under control. George has help from the prescription drug Lipitor in keeping his cholesterol level down. But once he started walking, he was able to cut the dose. You already know how to walk. The question is, can you make walking part of your life? If you want to enjoy the full benefits of walking, it has to be 
an automatic part of your daily routine, Hill says. Not once a week, not whenever you feel like it, but every day. Of course, any walking is better than none. So if you can only walk three or four times a week or only manage to squeeze in a five to 10 minute walk on a hectic day, by all means do it. You don't have to make it a marathon trek and it doesn't have to take a huge chunk out of your day. Experts recommend at least 30 minutes of walking each day. The National um, Institutes of Health suggests working toward a 40-minute routine that is broken into three stages. Five minutes of slow walking to warm up, 30 minutes of brisk walking, and then five minutes of slow walking to cool off. If this routine is too daunting at first, You can start with just 15 minutes each day, including five minutes of warm-up, five minutes of brisk walking, and five minutes of cooling down. Each week, add a few minutes to your brisk walk until you reach at least 40 minutes total. For a sample walking program and more tips on starting your own routine, check out the NIH brochure, Walking a step in the right direction. One great thing about walking is that you don't have to do it all at once. Four 10-minute walks will burn just as many calories as one 40-minute walk. Many people find, however, that it's simpler to fit one walk into their routine than four. Different walkers find different ways to stick with their routine. Walking with a friend can be a great source of motivation. It's hard to stay on the couch when someone else is counting on you. Bill and Shirley Poor take a similar, different approach. Both visit the Celebration Health Fitness Center in Celebration, Florida. The encouragement and support of the staff and the other exercisers keeps them going. It's easy to find an excuse to not exercise, but once I get to the center, I always do it, Bill says. The treadmill is ideal for Shirley because she can walk for miles without moving her oxygen tank. Bill likes it because he can listen to swing music on his headphones and not worry about traffic. I've never walked on streets around here the way people drive, he says. Crazy drivers aside, walking is one of the safest activities imaginable. Still, some people should proceed with caution. If you already have angina or coronary heart disease, or if you're at high risk for heart trouble, talk with your doctor before starting a walking program. You may need a stress test to see how much walking your heart can safely take. Chances are your doctor will be thrilled with your commitment to exercise. Walking has saved far more hearts and lives than it could ever harm. Shirley Miller certainly feels like she got a second chance She still wants to lose a few more pounds, but more than that, she's aware of everything she's gained. I'm happy to have my life back, she says. All right. Isn't that great? No, that's great. Very, very good. Walking. You know, using them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's it. That was was excellent. Yeah. That's it. And again, again, from National Institutes of Health, again, a reputable organization. Well, that's Fauci's organization. Uh Uh Anyway. Okay. Yes. So good. Good. So walking is it. And, and, And I always tell people, if you can't do anything, at least walk. And even if you can't get on a treadmill, even if you can't go outside, you can take little quick minutes of walking, even walking in place. All right. Dancing, yeah. dancing. Well, they, this article. Yeah. And they showed this article from New England Journal found it. I thought this was significant. Mm-hmm. 72,000 women, which is a pretty good sample size, mm-hmm. found that three or more hours of brisk walking each week cut the risk of fatal heart attacks and other heart trouble by 35%. I thought that was very interesting. Yes. Yes, it is. Back to the self-employed women out there, no matter what you're doing or self-employed folks in general. You can do that. Right. You can walk. Right. So get yep. to walking. You can put yep. that in your schedule yep. big time, right? Exactly. Exactly. Well, for our last article, D, it says, want to raise successful kids. Neuroscience says. Yeah. <laughs> well, this has always been one of my pet peeves. Okay. successful kids. Neuroscience says do this, but their schools probably won't. Right. I mean, probably won't. Right. In those first 
early morning hours. Children are just essentially half asleep. Having gotten kids up to go to school, I don't know how many years, and then my last one, Mark, uh-huh. get him up every single morning. Ugh, I know about this. Mm-hmm. So this is a story about kids, common sense, and neuroscience. It starts early, too early, in cities and towns across America where kids sometimes get up before dawn in order to attend schools that start their days earlier than necessary. It's a huge problem, according to the CDC, the Academy, American Academy of Pediatrics, and almost every other scientific or research group that has studied the question. In short, they all advocate that we should start school later in the morning since kids still developing brains simply don't function well that early in the day. In those first early morning hours, children are just essentially half asleep. They're not absorbing information, said Matthew Walker, a professor of neuroscience at University of California in Berkeley. He told NPR, so why are we putting them in the classroom? One reason might be because adults run the systems, and so a majority of schools, and especially those in more rural districts, will start their days much earlier than experts recommend. To put it succinctly, the APA, I think that's American uh, Pediatric Academy, recommends a start time no earlier than 8.30 in the morning for middle and high school students, as Lisa Lewis, author of The Sleep Deprived Teen, wrote recently. But at least as a few years ago, about 85% of American public high schools and 80% of middle schools, American middle schools, started their days earlier than that, and roughly one-third of schools started before 8 and even at 7.30. There may be signs of progress. For example, the reason we're paying so much attention to this right now is that of July the 1st, California became the first state in the country to require most public middle schools to start no earlier than 8 in the morning and most public high schools to start no earlier than 8.30. New York and New Jersey have similar bills pending in their state legislatures, although the likelihood of passage isn't clear. I've written a lot about sleep and neuroscience including perhaps the most fascinating recent research suggesting what happens when people don't get enough sleep. First, we lose the subjective ability to judge our lack of sleep. Second, even when we think we've caught up on sleep, maybe on the weekend, objective tests show we continue to have deficits in vigilance and episodic memory that we don't recognize even if we feel more rested. I agree with that. Mm -hmm. And third, persistent lack of sleep leaves people with heightened susceptibility to neurodegenerative disorders. I thought this was interesting. Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, Mm. other things that you don't want to get. Now, combine those adult trends with some of the developmental considerations and effects of lack of sleep on teens, anything less than 8 to 10 hours for teens, Mm -hmm. as Lewis, who in addition to writing a book on the subject, describes herself as having played a role in helping get California's landmark legislation on healthy start school times past, put it, and this is in big bold letters, Mm -hmm. teen sleep deprivation affects grades, attendance, and graduation rates. Mm. It leads to greater risk of injury for adolescent athletes and more drowsy driving crashes, and it worsens mental health issues, including anxiety and suicidality. That's profoundly unsettling, particularly in light of data released by the CDC in April showing that 44% of high schoolers said they've had persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness during the past year, and 20% had seriously considered suicide. Actually, Let's not let the drowsy driving concern slip by without emphasis. A study of 2000, in 2014 suggested that later start times could result in up to 65 to 70% reduction in teen car accidents, mm. along with higher standardized test scores. Finally, in districts that have, in fact, delayed start times, it does appear that students shift a considerable chunk of their newfound time to sleep. It all seems to add up to a pretty common-sense approach, even conceding that moving start times might have a whole range of other adult ramifications, including transportation and logistical changes, union contract, parent-child care needs. This whole study combines the topics of two of my most popular free e-books, a little shameless plug here, Right. <laughs> how to raise <laughs> how to raise successful a little shameless plug how to raise successful kids seventh edition and the free book of neuroscience 13 ways to understand and train your brain for life if you've read this far i suspect you'll agree on their importance because frankly perhaps even 8 30 is still too early for kids to start school every morning as walker the neuroscience professor from berkeley put it you really want to design the school day around how kids brains function best the ideal school time would probably be around 10 o'clock in the morning. 
Well, that's what <laughs> so yeah, I thought this was an interesting article. Isn't but the that? Problem is, I mean, uh-huh. it's very interesting and multifactorial. Yes. However, but okay. what's interesting is a couple of things. Number one, well, I mean, for elementary school yes. kids starting early. Mm-hmm. My thing is, especially in underserved communities, they don't eat. They don't get breakfast. That's it. And we know that that's a healthy part. That's an important part of starting their day. So, uh-huh. and that's why when they when they had these kids out of school for COVID, people mm-hmm. didn't understand that it was significant because a lot significant because a lot of these kids that was the only meal that they had. Well, those was meals a, that they got in school, in school. Were the mm-hmm. only meals that they got. Right. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Number two, mm-hmm. starting later is not going to be that beneficial because well, it's going to be not helpful for parents because a lot of parents have to get to work and drop their kids off. That's it. That's number two. Number two. And number three, a lot of the teachers, mm-hmm. because they're underpaid, have two jobs. So they're going to want to get out of school at 3 o'clock because some of them have second second jobs that they have to get to because they're not making the kind of money that they should make. So it's really multifactorial, this early school thing and, you know, starting schools early and so forth. So there are a lot of issues that go into it rather than just saying, yeah, it is would be great for their brains and minds uh-huh. and stuff. And I know kids are, I mean, you know, I had to shove, shove little Marky out, and I know he was, <laughs> I didn't, he didn't fall down asleep at the corner. And, you know, on our street, the bus would come early in the Big morning. time. Big time, early. You know, did any of your kids catch the bus when they went to Akiva? No, I was the I was the bus. Okay. I was the bus. <laughs> so Monkey did. Monkey did. The other kids did, but he didn't really drive. By the time the other kids got older, they they drove. But mm-hmm. I mean, I agree. The the ideal time is when they can get up, mm-hmm. collect themselves, get a good breakfast in the morning, and leave. But it's just not realistic with a lot of other variables, variables rather that go on. But it was good. Was it was good. good. And I, I was thinking yeah. about that when I when I read that, and I said, just like you said, yeah, you know, if they changed a few things, you can you can kind of make it work. What they can do is right. start start the whole intellectual thing at 10 a.m., but have them come right. in, do breakfast, or do some meditation, exactly. some yoga. Exactly. You see what I mean? Exactly. Some, they could start the academic stuff at 10 o'clock. Yes. But the early part of it, like I said, would be with the food, with eating. And with eating. And meditation. And meditation, mindfulness. And mindfulness. Stuff, collect themselves up. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I they, agree. So yeah, they could change that up. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. to do exactly. drastic things, it's already uh, tough for a lot I of know. parents now. It is. It is. You know, they're just trying to get to work and, and you know, make a, a good living and mm-hmm. child care mm-hmm. and all of that, I mean, you know, it's really critical. So if you start work at 10 o'clock, if your kid doesn't get to have to go to school at 10 o'clock, you got to find child care for your kid. Oh, yeah. Before that. Oh, yeah. It'll be, it'll be something. We've all been there. Yeah. So yeah. so they can at least oh, yeah. change what they do at the school. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So, yeah. Well, Dee, you know, this ends our show. So do you have some tips that we should think about? Yeah. Well, let's just go through line item by line item article. The self-employed women are healthier. I thought that was a really good study. Uh-huh. Um, it did show that, you know, and combine that with a walking mm-hmm. off the weight, that you can walk or do any of this at any point in time. It's just getting yourself self-motivated to do it. Mm-hmm. And the article that you talked about with self-employed women were healthier. Mm-hmm. You know, they may have a lot less stress than having to go That's out it. there and That's get it. with eight hours. That's know? it. That's it. stress, as we know, mm-hmm. affects a lot of the different organ systems and a lot of the diseases that are certainly with healthcare disparities that are affected. And then the spouse getting weight loss surgery, I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Michael Harris, who came to us a couple of uh, two, a couple of weeks ago, talked about that, and I thought that was interesting. They're at least paying more attention now to mental health issues. Yes. And then lastly, the issue of starting school later, you know, just from a standpoint of kids collecting themselves up and getting their brains ready rather than dragging into school at 7.30 when they're not really capable of soaking in what they're supposed to be learning. And also, I thought it was interesting that there's a decrease in car accidents when they look at starting schools later. Yes, yeah, because, yeah, so, you yeah. know, people, the, the young oh. folks, they, they sleep, oh. and then a lot of times they have this, a lot of homework that keeps them up late at night as exactly. well. Exactly. Yeah, so exactly. it's, it's, so, it's yeah. certain things, I think, 
that the schools should do if we know that they're more in a cognitive, uh, appropriate state to learn at 10 o'clock, then, yeah, bring them in, but have breakfast, do uh, meditation, do yoga, do, I don't know, something mindful, you know, until then. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That would work. That would work. Yes, and it, and we all know the the um, health benefits of practicing mm-hmm. mindfulness, right? From our friend Kelly Kirksey. Yes, yes, <laughs> Doctor Kelly. Uh huh. Yeah. All yeah. right. That was a great show. And as always, yeah. yes, yes. And as always, folks, for more information, go to our website, vickidofitness.com. And remember. If you have any questions, comments, or just something to say, tweet us, email us, go on Facebook, and share with us your thoughts. You've been listening to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. Vicki Doe is owner of Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum, a place to discuss, learn, and participate in healthy living. You can get in touch with Vicki by email at info at vickidofitness.com.